for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is... March. Wow, it's March. No, wow, not March. It's May. It's May 3rd, 2022, and today's guest is my good friend, Adam Bender. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and we have another good episode today. Today's episode is 214, and I've got my good good friend, Adam Bender, on. Uh, he was on a previous episode. Boy, it was a little while ago. We talked about a giant Wisconsin whitetail that he killed. Awesome episode. This guy's a hell of a storyteller. I really uh, enjoy talking to Adam a lot and uh, he's actually lives out in Nebraska he works for Bass Pro Cabela's and he's done that for a long time Um, he's a photographer just a super genuine dude and we get into turkey hunting I mean we're in the season of turkeys right now but we don't talk a ton about turkey we do get into like turkey hunting out west and like the different subspecies and species and how he was able to kill a couple birds this year but that's not the I guess it's a two-parter in a way in one episode because we get into a topic that is pretty near and dear to uh, a lot of people's heart if you're on social media and you're a hunter and some of the recent things have been going on. I'm not going to get too far into it because we get on a soapbox uh, rant here in a little bit for a good half hour. Uh, it's the second half of the of the show, and uh, it's some things that need to be said, I think. Um but yeah, I'll let you guys listen to that. Uh, before we do get into the episode, though, I, I do want to hit on a couple things, a couple partner-related things. Um, I want to thank the partners that support the Fall Podcast and support me. Uh, we got Helix Broadheads. We've got Vector Custom Arrows, Exodus Trail Cams, and Novix Tree Stands. So if you guys are looking for any of those brands, uh, any, you know, any product from those brands check them out on their website helixbroadheads.com you can go to if you're looking for new arrows go to vectorcustomshop.com and find your arrows the ones that you want put in all all your information and use the code fall 10 to save on those novix tree stands man i i've said it a lot these tree stands are awesome for mobile hunting um that i recommend checking them out because they're you know you get into mobile hunting and it's it can be really expensive like anything um and in my opinion novix 
the price point there is is awesome. Like you can go buy a set of sticks and a stand for the price of one stand from another X brand. Not saying that X brand is bad and it shouldn't be that expensive because I get it. It's got its it's got its place in the market, but um, it's it's a very Novix is a very good versatile tree stand for mobile hunting. So go check them out. Exodus Trail Cams, check them out as also. They just got done doing their upgrade program. It is, to my knowledge, it is not running anymore. It was the month of April. But uh, if you guys are looking for a new camera, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check out the Exodus Render. Look up, get an Exodus bundle pack if you want with the um, with the solar panel and everything. And So you don't have to go back in there and change your batteries. So that's my favorite thing about it is their battery life is unbelievable, even without the solar panels. I really like the battery life. So go check those brands out. I would be, it'd be greatly appreciated. Go check out my YouTube channel, The Fall Podcast. Uh, got a Helix Broadhead review up there. A couple old turkey hunts getting out. I haven't turkey hunted yet as far as with a weapon. I've just been out filming and going with buddies, but uh, I'm going to get out here soon. Times uh, are really busy in the family life right now. So Yeah, go check that out. Also, today drops the Journey Within podcast with my boss, Mark Peterson, a new podcast. Episode one drops today. Go check that out. Subscribe to that. That is going to be an awesome podcast. You'll hear me on that every once in a while. I'm not going to be on there every week, but uh, I'm producing that podcast with Mark, my boss. Um, You know, I travel with him a lot. We'll be doing stuff from the field. But that'll be a lot on his journeys and, and where he's traveling all over all over the world to hunt, um, tags, applications through his company, WTA, tag deadlines, all that sort of thing on that podcast. So go check it out anywhere you download podcast, uh, subscribe, and, and check all that stuff out as well. So thank you guys very much. We're going to get over to this interview with Adam. And uh, yeah, I'm going to hope to have an episode this Friday. I didn't last week, but it's tough right now. So I can't promise you I'm going to. I'm going to try to get it up, though. (laughs) I'm working my butt off to do it, so we'll see. But thank you guys for all the support and all the downloads. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave a written review. That is always appreciated. And here's this interview with Adam. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast. And today I've got a good buddy on here. He's been on before, and he's back on again, Adam Bender. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Glad to be back. Yeah, we had some technical difficulties all on my end. Not to, you know, a couple days ago we were going to do this, and it's all on my fault. Um, you know, but here we are, last minute deal. Why not? Let's let's get into it. <laughs> I'm excited, man. This is going to be a good one. I I agree. I mean, we, the last time you were on, God, I can't even remember the episode number, but um, we had a good time because you talked about uh, killing a pretty small deer in Wisconsin. Um, Yep. So, <laughs> no, you killed a hammer in Wisconsin. What was that? Two years ago? Yeah, that was fall of 2020 before the world went and got crazy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun hunt up at my buddy Chris Hood's farm, uh, up there. And looking forward to that. The deer is actually at the taxidermist getting ready for me to pick him up. So, pretty excited. That's fun. That was a big deer. Awesome story. And I remember getting a lot of DMs from people on that, like, holy shit, they thought that you were, like, right in the tree with them. Like, you're just a good storyteller. <laughs> and I'm like, I was, uh, I had well, chills I that's that a good thing podcast. or a bad thing. <laughs> I 
I get that a lot. I, some some people say I'm blessed with the gift of gab. Others don't like it, but take it for what it's worth. Hey, man, I had chills that whole podcast. I had like those gooseys, and I'm like, man, it just puts me right back in that spot, like in the fall. And let's go. Let's get to have a, have a big buck chasing a doe around us. I'm ready. Yeah, that was that was one of those ones that like. You know, having been on hunting TV before, like you wish you could have had a camera to show it all. <laughs> but at this, but at the same time, like hunting TV is its own animal, and uh, I'm kind of glad that nobody was else there to see it because it was just me. And uh, yeah, man, I can I can close my eyes and be put right back in that tree stand. It was that vivid. Yeah, so. such a cool story. But today, we probably won't get into much whitetail talk just because we're in the heart of turkey season right now, and you live out in Nebraska, which it, to me, I mean, yep. is a different world to me. Um, and especially like turkey hunting, those Western States, like I kind of want to dive into that, but also I've got a topic that I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot for when we get done talking about turkeys, a topic you're very passionate about. And I want to discuss with you, but we're not going to get into that yet. I want to talk turkeys for a little bit. <laughs> foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Now yes. everybody's got to hang on. See, that's a good host right there. <laughs> that is good. You did you did tee that one up nicely. <laughs> no, but I think I honestly, I'm not trying to like tease it at all, but it's a topic that I think everybody wants to hear about. And I think everybody wants to say something, but doesn't. And I fall into that as well. So we'll get we into all it. Do. Cool. Well, first and foremost, turkey hunting out in Nebraska, those western, well, you, you're technically Midwest. Nebraska's Midwest, right? Midwest. Yep, you bet. Midwest. So I would say, you know, anything west of Nebraska is probably west. I would call west. That's so, fair. That's well, fair. There's some people who would disagree, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, I say the Midwest stops at the western Nebraska border and uh, everything after that is west. That's what I mean. Like the Western Nebraska border is like where I say, "Hey, that those guys, those people are Westies. Like they're Western people." Agreed. You know, Colorado. Agreed. Like that's Agreed. when it's like when you think of Denver or Colorado, I think of West. Like it's out west. You know. Agreed. Yep. yep. Okay, let's get into page. it. So, what what birds you got out there? Type of birds. Uh, you know, it's uh, well, huh, that's a that's a debate in itself. Which if there's any. <laughs> Um, buddy in Nebraska, you know, we, we have a very, very big population of what I will call hybrids. Nebraska is a very interesting state, you know, call me a purist if you want, but it's very, very hard to kill a pure blooded anything in Nebraska when it comes to turkey subspecies. Um, Nebraska is a, a state that a lot of people love to come to because there is such a diverse type of turkeys everywhere you go you know you go south uh southern nebraska kind of all the way across kansas border you know you get a lot of rios you hunt up in the northwest corner of the state you get a lot of miriams but everywhere else in the state it is very hard to pin down what type of subspecies you know for instance i know you've seen them but you know the three birds i killed this year in nebraska uh were all in the eastern part of the state um one as close as 15 minutes from my house the other one was about two hours north of my house, and they all three look like three completely different subspecies, and one back home where I'm from. All three look like completely different subspecies of turkeys, and like I said, they were all killed in the eastern half of the state. One looks like a pure Miriams. I mean, we're talking white tips, white outer fan, white inner fan, you name it, 
got a bird that looks like an Eastern, but he's not um, because he's got too much uh, kind of light in him, but he's got a very copper inside fan. And then mm-hmm. I've got a bird that I killed 15 minutes from here that looks just like a Rio. So it really is a weird thing. NWTF, you know, kind of recognizes it wherever you kill whatever in the state. They kind of claim whatever you call it, they'll recognize it. Really? Um, but if you speak, yeah, if you speak to a Nebraska biologist, depending on who, um, I got a buddy who's a, who's a biologist and he's pretty passionate about it, about how NWTF kind of recognizes them as whatever you kill. They have their area map, right? Like where the Easterns are, where right. the Merriams are. But I can disprove that theory in about 10 minutes within <laughs> a, a drive of my town in Lincoln. I can be like, man, look at that Merriams right there. It's 15 minutes from Lincoln. And, you know, most guys would look at it and be like, holy cow, look how white that fan is. But yeah, Nebraska is an interesting state for that. That's why I just say we got hybrids everywhere. But, you know, unless you're hunting in a just specific area, like out west in the Pine Ridge, out by Harrison, Crawford, stuff like that, uh, Scott's Bluff, Gearing, you know, those birds definitely are got way more Miriams in them than the, than a white-tipped fan bird in eastern Nebraska does. Okay. So I guess what is like, what would be the native bird to Nebraska? Is there one? Is it a Miriam? No. I would say there's not. I mean, I would say everything is, I mean, man, it's hard because like I said, I can drive you within 30 minutes of Lincoln and I guarantee you, I could show you in flocks where there would be a bird that looks like a Miriam's and a bird that looks like it's a Rio. Um, So, I mean, it's really nothing really that's native. I mean, I would say everything is kind of a conglomerate of subspecies. Yep. But then once you go over to Colorado, isn't that like all Miriam's? Yep. Yep. I mean, it's just so weird. Right. And that's why I think the, the, the demographics of where people are killing turkeys is what really matters. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's not fair for me to, that I, that I, you know, uh, I'm from about an hour and a half North of Lincoln and my dad and I have a spot up there and, uh, you know, that's where I shot that second bird. And I mean, he looks as Miriam's as the day is long, but it's like, it's not fair for me to say that he's a Miriam's right. Cause it's right. like, you got to be out west. You got to be out in the Pine Ridge. You got to mm-hmm. be out in the yep. in, in in the hills to even think to me that you got to be able to claim that as a Miriams. But it, it is what it is. You know what I tell people? Shoot it and you call it whatever you like. And uh, <laughs> no. that's good for me. Well, and that's the thing. Like when you think of Miriams, like I think of Colorado Hills. I think of the Dakotas. I think of like being yep. able to go out there and kill multiple birds and those really white tips and stuff like that. And when you say Easterns, I think of Michigan, PA, you know, um, any Eastern, I guess, like Georgia and stuff like that. Like I, you know, Illinois, I think of Easterns as that. And then obviously the oscillated is, or the Osceola is only what in like one County in Florida. Isn't that what it is? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it might be more in one county. They have like a dividing line that says everything south of that can be registered as a as an Osceola. Everything north of that has to be eastern. Okay. Yep. And you know, I've been diving like even deeper into turkeys this year than I have been because I've been doing a lot of stuff for Mark Peterson. You know, on the turkey slam that he did, and like yep. I dove into like the oscillated birds down in the down in you know the jungle and on like the I think it's the Yucatan Peninsula. I think I think that's sounds yep. right yep. and yep. those birds they kind of look like i mean they're beautiful birds until you see their heads it's like mm-hmm. they're blue uh pimples all over and everything yeah, with the and, little yellow warts <laughs> yeah yep. yep and 
but they're beautiful fans. They have no beards, but they're known for their hooks. Like they've got, you know, if you kill a bird, it's not uncommon to kill a bird with a two and a quarter or two and a half inch hooks, um, which is crazy to me. And then, you know, they don't gobble. They basically, they call it singing. They sing kind of. And yep. what, what I've read and what I've heard is people say, you know, you've heard a sandhill crane. It kind of sounds like that. That's what I've been told. Never yeah. heard it. So it's interesting. Yeah. I would say that's a, that's fairly close. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is not a gobble. I mean, it is, it is completely different. We actually have a group right down there right now in Mark's okay. camp. Um, we've got a group of four down there and Josh Flaster on my team is down there hosting that trip down in Campeche. Very so cool. I'm excited yeah. to hear how they do when they get out. Yeah. And, and one thing that was really weird to me too, is like they down in the jungle, cause it's so thick, they shoot them out of the roost in the morning, you know, or yep. you can get on like ag land where they'll be out in the fields and you can kind of make a move. But I, what I've heard is majority people, they, they shoot them out of the roost and I'm like, wow, that's everything I was not, or was taught not to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's you like, know. it's, it's just, that's the way it is. It's a cultural thing. Yep. Like it's, it's so thick your odds of seeing one on the ground coming to a call like we do in Nebraska or Michigan, right? Like it's not going to happen. Right. So it's uh, pretty, it's pretty unique when it does not to say it can't happen, but yeah, that's, that's the way they do it down there. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. That's the way they do it. Yep. No, I agree. That's really cool. Like the cultural thing and how it's just so different, but um, I'm going to move on a little bit because you killed a hammer of a bird was your first one this year, right? The one you were texting me about, like he was going to, uh, you, you yep. basically had it down to the time where you're just going to, you know, move in. On him. Um, you had this bird like pretty patterned, uh, you know, and was that right at your opener when you guys opened? Um, yeah, that was opening that, Yeah, that was opening day and, uh, just been, you know, bird been coming to the food plot a lot, uh, all year long and kind of knew what he was doing and where he was traveling to and from and, uh, figured if I could just be there sometime when, when he's going to do it right. And luckily, yeah, just everything worked out and can't beat a opening day gobbler with no, a bow. Not at all. And that's, that's what I'm kind of getting into is like, you know, I talk about whitetails all the time and you're a big whitetail hunter as well. And, you know, we talk about pattern in whitetails and, and getting on them at the right time and, and being, I, you know, I've heard guys say sur- surgical, like being like making you the most of the time that you have and, and don't overdo it. Like when you were sending me texts and we were talking about this bird and then you went in and, 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 and did your plan you did that in a sense like you would on a whitetail. And I thought that was pretty neat. So explain to me a little bit, like, first of all, when is your opening day? And then, you know, how it's probably pretty easy of how like you got them, you know, pattern and everything, but like, what was your goal going into the season and how you want to set up for opening day? Yeah. I mean, Nebraska opens pretty early. So it's usually opens March 25th and it's archery only for those first three weeks and shotgun season doesn't open until usually around April 15th. Um, so you kind of get three weeks of exclusive, uh, bow season and, you know, it's among some of the first outside of the Southern States. It's among one of the first States in the Midwest to, to open for turkey season, but usually March here, I mean, it was, it's still cold and there's even a good chance of a, of a spring snowstorm. You know, there's no leaves on the trees. So some of that stuff, you know, does play to your advantage. And one big thing is, uh, you know, finding birds on a roost 
and watching their travel pattern, you know, and that was kind of the thing that I uh, found with that Tom early was, you know, he was roosting in the same tree for a couple of days and then he disappeared. And that was when I connected the dots that he was not using the same roost tree um, every single day. And I actually just read a study and I can't remember who published it, but they put uh, not collars, but tracking units on some turkeys down in the South and they were observing their roosting patterns. And they found that, you know, some of these Toms had roost, or flocks, some of them were hens, and they'd roost in this tree for three to five days, then they'd switch for a day or two, and then they'd come back, and then they'd go to another one, and it was never constant. And I always thought that when a turkey has a roost tree, that's the roost tree, and I thought that was it, but um, that was what connected the dots for me on this. And yeah, you know, I've got game cameras out there um, year-round that are watching uh, the deer and stuff, and I just kept seeing this Tom every day. He was usually hitting this plot, um, you know, at a certain time, and I thought, man, if I can just be there, um, when he's there, you know, hopefully, uh, he does it right. Yep. So I, I was on the side as you are, is like, I thought they used the tree, like basically a set of trees or a couple trees in a, in an area all the time, because at our, our family farm here, we have a Ridge that I call it roost Ridge, but it's every year birds are roosted on there. You can go up to the Oak trees underneath and it looks like they've been living in those trees for years because there's, yep you know, scat all over the ground. I mean, it's pretty apparent. It's like these birds are just up there living and, and we've killed a lot of birds out of those trees. Like as far as, you know, on roost hunts and stuff like that, when they fly down. Um, so I guess after I've been watching some of the stuff, the same thing you're doing or you read, I've been watching on YouTube, like the hunting public, those guys are doing some stuff with doc or, you know, uh, biologists and everything down there about like their patterns and and trying to get more hunters involved and and hunter satisfaction and all that stuff like i've been watching a lot of that stuff what i guess before you read this like you obviously thought they used the same tree but like now do you have like a different feeling of or a thought of like you know why aren't they using the same tree or why might they use a different tree do they get you know, do they get caught so in a different location when it's like time to roost? And it's like, oh shit, I got to get up a tree. Like, what do you think in that ter- in those terms? I think that's a very regional thing, and that's I wish I could have quoted this study, but you know, this was down in Georgia where they did it. But I would say, from my perspective, I'm in the in the Midwest, like like you, I've got spots that I've hunted for a long time that like, there's always going to be a Turkey in these trees. Like always, you know, come spring, yep. they're going to roost in there at some point. And that's like, you've got with your roost Ridge. I I've got those two, you know, this other spot that I was hunting, it's really just a funnel. There's not a lot of great trees for them to roost in. And what I was finding that was when he was roosting on me, it's because it was like you said, it was late in the day. And he was just basically like, well, it's dark, got to get up. And that's what this study, that's what this study that I read was like, it's all about their travel patterns and kind of where they end the day. And like the days that they would work really close to that roost tree, they are, you know, within reason, right. They would come back to that roost tree. But then, you know, then on like day three or four or five, that, that bird went a lot further and they ended up in another area and it was amazing watching the patterns like every, you know i don't think people give turkeys enough credit man i understand that they have a a brain the size of a pea but uh you know for their vision um and their their sense of awareness is absolutely uncanny and i think that as you watch patterns between deer and turkeys i think there really is similarities that um you know people have never connected the dots on and that's that's what i seen and when i knew this bird was when he roosted there i knew that was going to be my chance 
and uh, got a nice little glassing point that we can get up on and owl hoot and shock gobble. And, you know, like I said, there's, there's no trees that time of year. And sure enough, glassed him through the spotting scope and he was right where I needed him to be. Was he by himself when you glassed him up? He had two hens with him um, and the hens were getting down in the morning and, you know, taking off and in basically, you know, he would usually choose one of the two and uh, luckily, luckily he chose one of the right ones to follow and walked him right past the decoys. So knowing that, I mean, cause I love to roost birds. Like it's not that I won't go hunting tomorrow if I didn't roost birds tonight, but man, I love to know where they're at because in the roost, I'm the type that I want to get as tight as I possibly can. I like knowing exactly what yep. trees in, exactly what limb he's on. You know what I mean? And I, I, yep. I, I want to get as tight as I can. Um, for to me, it's very mental. I'm not very patient. Like it's hard for me to sit there and just like, oh, is he there? Is he not there? Where are they going to show up? Like it's easier for me to get out of bed when I know he's there and I can, <laughs> I can go get after him. But knowing that there's there's hens with him and you knew he was going to pick a hen was it just like okay i got a 50 50 shot i'm going to try this out he's been coming through here a lot because like you said you had game cameras out so you had to have some intel on him before right yep for sure yeah i mean i turned game cameras on you know when it was february and uh i started seeing him coming through and then like i said just a pattern developed, but you know, like you said about the roost, it's pretty interesting and pretty good segue to, to bird number two was, you know, I, there, nothing beats a good roost hunt, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing better. However, your odds are so far stacked against you. If you really <laughs> yes. think about it yes. and it's like, it's like us turkey hunters, we're gluttons for punishment because you got to deal with the real thing. You're going to deal with, you know, on their terms because they're going to get down in the morning they're going to do what they want. And you're fighting with a flock usually or mm-hmm. multiple birds and you're trying to get them to come investigate a set of plastic decoys, you know, and probably some not so good sounding calls. But, um, for me, I'm kind of the, like, I love a good roost hunt. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, I love hunting 10 to two for turkeys. 10 really? to two is 10 to two is my absolute best, most productive time for me to kill a turkey. And that's what happened on that second one with my dad was, uh, we were back home for Easter weekend and, uh, we both slept in, had a big breakfast because we knew that this flock up that we hunt is, it's a pretty big flock and they've got a pretty habitual pattern. Um, they bounce back and forth between the two properties. And I was like, dad, we should get up there early. And he was like, no, he's like, ain't going to do no good because if they're on this side of the property, we'll be there too. We'll be there too early. If they're, if they're over on the other side of the property, that's where we want them to be. And we can get slipped in and get between them and their travel pattern. I'm like, all right, sounds good. So this is no joke. Made a big breakfast for my wife and kids. And we left our house at, I think it was like 945, 10 ish. Drove up there, got there at about, uh, it's about 45 minutes north of my folks' place. Get up there at about 1045, truck parked, walk in. Um, no, no sightings of birds as we were going in because usually they're out in this one field strutting um, and pecking around. Get in and basically nothing. Get in, uh, find a spot to get set up. We get set up. I think it was 10. 58 when I looked down at my watch, like we were all set up, blind was up, decoys were up. And I kid you not, waited five minutes, called, and at 11.02, my dad goes, here he comes. And the most nonchalant, (laughs) here he comes ever. 
And sure enough, big old fan coming through the trees, all strutting. And it was super windy that weekend here. And I was using a box call just to be loud. And uh, sure enough, bird worked all the way in, sat on the other side. of the, And that was when I was hunting. With, that was uh, opening weekend of shotgun season. And uh, he hung up on the other side of the creek, which we knew, but that was a risk we were willing to take because we knew we put the blind close enough that we could shoot him on the other side. And, uh, yeah, work is all the way in. And then all of a sudden I looked behind him and here come his hens with him. And, uh, he was coming to grab another hen and, uh, sure enough, brought him all the way in and, and dropped him. And like, literally, I think it was 1104 and he wow. was dead. So it was like, got <laughs> set up in the blind at 1050 and we were punching a tag at 1104. You gotta love that. <laughs> and my dad looks at me. He's like, he's like, I just don't understand why these guys like getting up at four a.m. and being miserable and <laughs> getting their butts kicked. And he's like, what this take fifteen minutes from start to finish? I mean, granted, super lucky, right? Birds were in the perfect spot. We slipped in. They didn't know we were there, and just happened to call a tom away from the flock. But yeah, ten to two, man. Especially once you know middle of April hits and those hens are starting to nest and they break off. I mean, from 10 to 2, 3, 4 o'clock, that's when toms are, you know, out walking around looking for hens because the hens have gone to nest. Mm -hmm. The jakes have all been kicked off the flock. And toms are out there either looking for a fight or looking for a girlfriend. And usually, if you're midday and, like, when we, you know, that second call and literally hammered and dad goes, here he comes. And then, sure enough, there he was. Like, if I can get a tom to gobble anytime between 10 and middle of the afternoon, that's usually a dead bird. Yeah, and that's I I'd have to agree with that now that I'm looking back, like but mine might even be a little later, like one to four. You know, yeah. like that uh and that's that's specific here to Michigan, like in the stuff that I've hunted. I haven't hunted a ton of other places. I've hunted Missouri turkeys in Kansas, but like here in Michigan, say I, I have the same thing. If you can get a bird to gobble, you know, in that midday, it's your odds in in my opinion are very high to get that bird into your set. Now it might be a group of Jake's. I don't know, but I mean, you're going to hold on to your hat cause something's going to happen. And, yep. um, you know, Lee and I, we went to Kentucky for the opener, uh, in April, uh, third week of April, I think. And we had a terrible hunt. I'm not going to lie to you. Like we couldn't get a bird to sound off during the day at all. We couldn't see him out, uh, you know, strutting in fields, nothing. And I'm like, I'm starting to think that these birds don't gobble midday. And, you know, I don't know if we were in a big area that had, you know, a lot of predation. They just like to shut up. Or it was early, though, and they had a lot of hens around them. So, you know, why leave hens to find hens or, you know what I mean? So same kind of thing. But I guess you brought up a point about, you know, midday and pulling one away from a group of hens or a flock or something. And, have you ever had the instance like hunting midday where it's like you're out there, you're hitting calls, maybe you're you're kind of deer hunting them in a way, uh, yeah. but then like you have a Tom like show up and he might be in the same field and he looks over, he's like, and, and your decoys almost like like startle him in a way and it's yep. like, oh my God, have you ever had that? Yeah, I mean, I more times than I can remember. You know, <laughs> it's it just really depends. It, to me, I think it's just, there is no gray area when I when I think about, you know, toms. Like, a tom is either going to do it right or he's going to not do it at all. Mm-hmm. And I just – and that's what you often hear, you know, guys setting up decoys and, you know, bird walks in the field and he hammered the whole way, hammered the whole way. And then when he finally lays eyes on the decoys, he's like, oh, never mind. 
and you know he's out. But then other times, you know, as soon as that bird does lock on, you know, he does the drunken sailor run <laughs> in in across the field, and those are those videos that go viral all over social media because uh, you know it's just like the, it just bird becomes possessed. Yep. And uh, it, I, you know, and that's the thing. Like, I think you get one of two things. There is no like halfway committing and then and then leaving. It's either he either does it right or he ain't going to do it at all. I just mm-hmm. think they're so temperamental, you know, and it's like turkeys. And I think especially with like subordinate toms, if a tom just got his butt kicked and, you know, he got pushed out of a flock or lost his hens and that tom is out looking for love in theory, you know, he sees a single hen decoy, you know, he might just absolutely run in. He sees a hen and a posturing Jake or something like that. He might think twice about like, man, I just got my butt kicked. I don't want to go do it again. Or he might just be like, you know what? I'm coming to get redemption. And uh, it's just so weird. I think they're so temperamental. And usually for me, what I see here in the Midwest is it's really like a weather thing. Once we start getting a string of nice days of weather, because I mean, what spring here in Nebraska is just such crapshoot. That's why we say like, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Yep. Um, Just because I think when that weather does straighten out and we get that run of five, six, seven, 10 days of good spring weather and turkeys start to establish that pecking order and big giant flocks start to break up. That's when I feel like that's your most optimal time to go get a bird middle of the day. Uh, purely because there is too much competition in the mornings, but midday they kind of let their guards down and uh, just start going for some walkabouts, hoping to uh, get lucky. I couldn't agree more on the weather because same thing in Michigan. It's a crapshoot. It's like the weather here right now, our season's been open since the 23rd of April. Um, I have yet to be out with a weapon. I've been out with a couple buddies just calling and filming and stuff like that, but um, it's been weird. It's been a different spring so far, and we haven't had like the four or five days in the seventies with with good sun. It will be like twenty five degrees in the morning, and it's a heavy frost morning, and it might mm-hmm. only get up to forty. In my opinion, that's terrible for the turkeys. They want that high heat, like seventy, seventy five, eighty degree, so they can go and dust in the in the sand and the cool sand and get in the shade. I, my opinion and what I've what I've you know experienced is like you gotta have a string of those days and the cold has to really stop stop mm-hmm. you know coming in and hurting them. I've logged, you know, I'm still old school and I got a journal that I keep track of every hunt, successful or not successful. And I log temperature and barometric pressure and conditions on everything. And it's, I was looking back this year and it's like, I am not going to go on record and say that I'm being an advocate that, you know, turkeys are tied to weather, you know, like deer and the rut and moon phase, stuff like that. But it's really shocking to me if you really go back and look at past history, like how many high pressure you know, cloudy or uh, not cloudy days with bright sun, you kill birds on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those gloomy overcast days, low pressure um, that you don't. And uh, it just, it's its funny to me. I think that there's a lot more there to a turkey's behavior than people give them credit for. And I know that anybody can go out and disprove every single point that we've made because turkeys are just, they're, they're an anomaly in that what they do six days a week, they'll completely change on the seventh for no reason whatsoever. So I know that guys can say, oh, I hunt the roost all the time and I kill way more birds than you. Absolutely. And hey, all the power to you. But I think that as 
you start paying attention to past trends and stuff like that. I know like even with the invention of, you know, cameras and stuff like that, once the days started getting longer and the sun started staying out more, I was consistently seeing palms in that plot more and more and more and more. And then you catch a gloomy day, you know, rainy drizzle, whatever, nothing all day long. But as soon as that, you know, a couple of days of sunshine happened, boom, there he was like clockwork. Mm -hmm. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I, I want to make a, a, a hard pivot here. You talked about going viral, those videos going viral, so we're going to talk about going viral. This is the controversial topic that we're talking about. Recently, uh, uh group in the <laughs> hunting industry had uh and this several is not, people uh, let's yeah, just not let's yeah, not pinpoint yeah, it down let's just yeah. say several people let's not point the finger at one i guess because there's a lot um mm-hmm. but this one's like the most recent so and it's it's been an ongoing thing um but anyway posted a picture of a turkey with basically the the head ripped in half and uh, going viral is a is an understatement. I feel like everybody I know and don't obviously don't know like said something on this post. Um, it's something you're very passionate about, uh, you know, and I am as well. But you are the most outspoken person that I know about it, and I respect you immensely for it because um, I don't feel like sometimes I do enough to protect our our biggest passion, you know, in in our, what, and it's your and I's livelihood. Like you work in the hunting industry, like, and I Mm -hmm. do as well. Like that's, that's what we do every day, all day, 365 days a year. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know where to really go from here. Like, but I'm going to let you have the floor, I guess. Like, let's (laughs) give me, give me, uh, and everybody listening, what your, what your take is. And you could even refer back to this post if you want. This is dangerous. Uh, you know, I, I want to choose my words carefully here because, you know, first and foremost, like the thing that I think is is a little frustrating is this this narrative that's kind of taking over the hunting industry that we got to support each other and we got to stand united with everybody, everything, every method of take, you know, every season type, every type of shot, ethical, not ethical, whatever, we have to support it. And I I fundamentally disagree um, for for a multitude of reasons. But for me, it doesn't even boil down to, you know, going viral or stuff like that. But it's just, it's common sense. Mm -hmm. And it's like anybody who has a little bit of rational thought in their mind could imagine what is going to happen when you shoot a turkey 
you know, with a very uh, flesh covered weak head with a sharp pointy object traveling at upper of 200, 300 feet a second. Everybody could about imagine what's going to happen. So why, why glorify it? Mm-hmm. Why, t- why take the picture uh, making the, you know, the funny face and drawing attention to it and highlighting it. Like why, just why? Because if you step back and say, Oh, well, you know, that's just, it is what it is. Hey, I agree with you. And I have shot a lot of turkeys in the head with the bow, but I have never once ever thought to, Hey, I should post that online or Hey, uh, you know, people are going to love this. But honestly, it's what you said. It's the virality of what social media has become. And what that ties back to is likes, clicks, views, comments. They all basically trigger money because so many people are using this platform as a business. And hey, I love capitalism like everybody else. Go make your money. But as I look at some of the things that people are doing, not even just, you know, the posting a photo of a turkey with its head absolutely mangled to the point you can't even tell what it is. I just step back and I think like, man, like, you know, my kids, I got four kids. I know you got youngster and it's just like, what would they think? Um, when I have to explain to them someday that we can no longer do this because the wrong person got a hold of it and took it up the flagpole, and all of a sudden it's a bill in the Senate for your state, and all of a sudden it's passed, and voila, now a right that I used to have as a hunter or fisherman, because plenty of stuff happens on that side too. Um, what am I? How am I going to explain that to my kids? And I look back to when I was a kid with my dad and uncles and grandpas and having the most utmost respect for them and the way that they did things, and I just think like, man, for all the good that social media has done for, for our world – there is a lot of things that I can point to that show you that it brings out the absolute worst in people. And maybe it's because, and maybe it's because I am a dad and I'm a little jaded and I think about the future of hunting and fishing. And, you know, you look at all the bickering and infighting online and it's so much of this, we got to be united. And then others saying, no, we don't. It's just, it's gotten to, it seems like we've hit like a crescendo where it's like something's going to give mm-hmm. this, this, this trajectory that we're on cannot be sustained. Um, I look at social media every day and some of the things that I see on there and you know, you're just, especially in the hunting fishing space, just absolutely appalled. And when you think about it, you know that the people that are posted 90% of them are having the forethought to be like, man, this looks pretty bad. You know, I, this is not look good, but the other side of it is going, man, man, think of how many clicks this is going to get. Think how many people on TikTok are going to see this and think of what company, um, cause there's several of them now in the outdoor space that will latch onto this if I tag them. And then it's going to mean more followers and more viewers and more views and all of that. And it's just, it's, a, uh, it's just not good. And, uh, you know, some people like to think of people like me and others as elitists or purists, and we think we're better than everybody. No, that's, that's not it. But I just want my kids to have the same opportunities that I did when it comes to hunting and fishing. And that's, that's what it boils down to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And where I'm at with it too is like, you know, my dad at a young age taught me a couple things about when you take an animal, uh, as far as like, 
cleaning that animal up as much as you can. And when you take yep. pictures, you re- that's how we respect another way to respect that animal. Um, yep. And in my household, we never stepped over a, a deer that was laying on the ground. Like mm-hmm. that's just the way it was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I have friends that, uh, good friends, and it's nothing like they're against me or giving me crap or anything, but they like they'll send me a picture of a deer that they've taken and and it could be the profession I'm in as well like but they they'll send me a picture and I'm like dude like get down a little bit like hold him up you know don't be in the on the tailgate or you know whatever and he they always like give me crap and I'm like well I the way I look at that is that's a way to respect that animal and the way it should be respected like I like having beautiful photos I like having showing that deer you know and without the tongue hanging out like i that's why i go and edit some of my photos like i don't want a tongue hanging out like that looks terrible you know and clean them up a little bit there's already enough people that don't agree with what we do so why give them any more fuel Mm -hmm. and and i and i and you know i will never even as a photographer i will never debate anybody when it comes to their type of field photo right like you want to take it in the bucket of a truck absolutely have at it if that's what you and your family does I'm never going to sure. not sit there and say you shouldn't do it for sure. Just me personally, like you, I'm going to do it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to ever give somebody who's not on my same side of the fence an argument to look at, you know, one of my photos and say, that's just completely distasteful. Uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, they already agree with what we are doing is distasteful by taking right. animal's life to provide nourishment for our family and friends. So it's like you're never going to get them on the same side of the fence. But why give them, you know, soft tosses to automatically just let them hit a home run? And I just don't see the point of some of this stuff. I mean, it's it's clickbait. It's it's for views. And it's like that's the only reason they're doing it. Um, cause you know, deep down, they, they know how it looks. Everybody has that little filter. I shouldn't say everybody, not everybody has that filter, <laughs> but the people that do, you know, they do have that little person sitting on the side of their shoulder that says, don't need to be doing this. But the other side is saying, but man, look at how many views it's going to get. And what if so-and-so outdoors picks this up and shares it and it goes viral and that could mean more money because of my ad revenue. It's just this crazy convoluted thing now. And I mean, I guess, and, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, if people want to say that because I have that stance that I'm a, that I'm an elitist or that I'm a purist, then I guess that's the, the, the hill that I'm choosing to die on. Yeah. But for me, it's all about my kids mm-hmm. and the future of hunting and fishing. We have enough problems with the future of hunting and fishing the way it is. So why are we going to intentionally create more? Right. And, you know, back to this image that they were posting too, it's, I would be okay with you to post that picture, but just don't make the, the, the head of the turkey, the forefront of it. You know what I yeah. mean? Holding it up and pointing at it with a big smiley face or whatever. That's when I have the issue. It's like, yep. you, you're, you're basically, you might as well just crop the rest of the turkey and the human out that's, that actually shot the turkey, you know, and cause this is what you want it to be. So that that's where I have the issue. And, um, you know, I have at a very small scale, you know, my podcast, it gets monetized. Like I'm monetized through some partners and, you know, when I'm in negotiations with these partners, it's like, it doesn't get brought up about like, 
you know, the content that we're going to, I mean, it does as far as like the content that I will post and everything, but I, I draw a hard line in the sand of like what I will post. Like I'm not good at social media. I don't use social media the way it's supposed to be intended. I don't think in my eyes, um, I wouldn't even have social media if I didn't have a podcast. I'm not going to lie to you because it's a good way to get my content out there and get people, you know, familiarized with it. And, you know, and, and, you know, you're on the manufacturing side. So you see like, like you want that for your people that you partner with as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's good advertising. It's cheap advertising, but like, I still don't ever get to the point where I'm like, well, in order to get, you know, X amount of dollars from X company, I have to post like where I get 500 likes instead of a hundred likes. Well, I don't care how many likes I get it's to the point where like I'm still pushing and behind the product that I'm trying to, you know, that I'm trying to deliver. But it's like, if that partner, that manufacturer is like, well, you need to up your likes and you know, all that stuff like that. I'm still not going to default to that. Like in my head, it's just like, I know that's wrong. And I was taught differently. So I go back to like, and this is me painting a, uh, or judging a book by its cover, but I go back to X human and like, you obviously weren't told or taught in my eyes the right way. And that's my opinion. Yep. That, and so, I, th- and I, th- I think that's completely fair. And you know, th- th- this, this Turkey image we're talking about, right. It's just the most recent. It's not like this is the first one that's ever been out there. There's right. tons. Um, it's just the most recent, like you said, like everybody was talking about it. My phone was blowing up. People were tagging me. Um, yeah, I mean, whether it's I'm outspoken or not, but it's just like, I'm just, I just believe in what I believe. I'm not saying you have to agree, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be an advocate for the future of hunting and fishing. And I do not feel that images like that or anything of the sort belong in a space that when you ask yourself, like, is this image going to do anything to help the future of hunting and fishing in any way? And most people would say no. Some are going to say yes, because it's going to say, oh, it's going to trigger them to go want to do the same and all of that. It's like, hey, great. If that's if that's what you feel, fine. I'm not saying I agree. But this the notion that, you know, we have to agree with what everybody is doing and, and support it is to me fundamentally false. And I think you look at what social media has done and you know, you briefly touched on it. It's cheap, right? You can pay these people yep. free product and that's it. Like, hey, we're going to send you this X and in exchange, we need a, B, C, D, E. And people are like, Hey, I made it. I got free pieces of gear from a company that I've known about since I was in high school. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get noticed and to be shared on that company's page. Like all these other people that have quote unquote made it, you know, in the industry. And I think that it's a, it's a slippery, slippery slope. And I think that as time goes on, you're going to start to see some of this get reeled in more and more and more. Like the notion that, you know, hunters and fishermen are always going to be able to talk freely and openly with what their content is on social media is crazy because mm-hmm. there's going to come a time when it's going to stop. Yep. I mean, you're, you're already seeing that now with the, you know, suppression of stuff from companies to products to their political views, whatever. Right. So you're already seeing it. Um, and I think that when you're already up against all those things, why are you going to dump gas on a fire um, with an image or like that or anything like that or doing anything completely distasteful, you know, to a wild animal? And I just 
again, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, I, I know that I am not the only opinion in the room, and that's fine. That's just my opinion, and I'm sticking to it, as well, they say. Well, you know, and I think there's probably some people that are listening to this or even think of, like, well, talking about you and I in particular, you go on our Instagrams or whatever, and you're going to see images of us with dead animals. Yep. Well, it you know, that is something that is – they could say that that's wrong as well. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way you could look at that. Um, I would like to think that my images are, in the best sense, tasteful as they can be. Um, yep. I guess I might be fooling myself and looking for a way to just, I want to post them. I want people to see the images. I like, I'm proud of these, these journeys that I've been on. Um, but I will tell you, I do know people that are diehard whitetail hunters that will not touch venison and will not touch mm-hmm. meat. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I love to chase and harvest game that are have large animals or large large uh, antlers. You know, mm-hmm. I do like to. But that I, I'm not going to hold out for a bigger antlered deer then you know what I mean saying like you know what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say like you know totally I'm not good. like I do don't get me wrong like the 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 antlers on their head do play in the factor of me trying to t- to, to chase them I'm not just gonna yep. go out and and kill a lesser deer and that goes back to the fact of like herd management as well you mm-hmm. know what I mean like we could dive really far deep into herd management <laughs> the white tails <laughs> And the killing of does and why you need to do it. And then why letting the little, you know, the younger deer thrive and why to take the older deer. Like we could be here for freaking three days. Another podcast. Yeah. And I got to go get my kids and my kid. And I know you do too, but I'm just saying like, I could be, I guess, trying to justify why it's okay for me to post a dead animal, but like, Mm -hmm. I'm not like showing a wound channel of a deer that's as big as a softball. I'm trying to cover it up. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie to you. I yep. I put the tongue back in the mouth. I take wipes with me in my pack all the time. Baby wipes. Get them. Unscented. Yep. Like, yep. clean the nose up. Clean the eyes up. I go as far as putting taxidermy eyes on my white tails to take pictures. Why? Yep. Because I want that deer to look respect. Like, I'm, I want to try to respect the deer. Yep. You know what I mean? And, there, um, and there's hunters that would say that you're wrong for doing all yeah. that. Because you need to just... You know, there, there's no sugarcoating it, right? It's, it is what it is. We killed it. We took its life. And it's like absolutely correct on all fronts. But for one second, am I not, I'm not going to agree with you in the sense that, and this is what I mean, right? We don't have to support everybody's way of doing these things. The way I want to do it does not have to be the way you want to do it. Right. I, I respect you and your opinion just as much as you should respect mine. And if I want to take a little bit of extra time to make sure that the, the blood is wiped off and the tongue is not visible and want to hold the deer or elk or bear or turkey or fish in a way that I deem is respectable, that's on me to decide. Nobody's telling you that that's the way you got to do it. But I am going to tell you that whatever you do, be willing to answer that question of the way that I'm doing this is this, you know, advocating or helping or shining a positive light on the future of hunting and fishing. Because if it's not, 
there's your filter, right? If you don't have a filter, there's your filter right there. Yep. And that's what I mean. Like if you can't answer that question, then don't be throwing it on the gram and trying to get a bunch of likes and tagging companies that never asked for it just so you get noticed because you know, at the end of the day, it's really not helping. You are hurting more than you're helping. I don't care what you do. What you do is your prerogative. But if you can look me in the face and tell me that you honestly feel that that gory picture of a softball-sized wound uh, channel and a deer is going to help advocate the sport of hunting and fishing in the future, and you truly believe that, fine. But I'm not saying that I have to agree with you. Yep. That's all. We can get off our soapbox now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's a, I just think it's an important issue, man. I think like social media has done a lot of good, but I think it also has brought out some of the worst and we're already, you know, facing challenges daily when it comes to what my kids and your kids are going to enjoy someday. And I Mm -hmm. think that just a little bit, I was talking to a friend um, and you see, I put it in that post, just a little bit of self-awareness goes a long, long ways. And, and, and I think that self-awareness do, does two things. It prevents mistakes, but it also gives you some time to reflect on your motives for why you're doing it. You know, are you out yep. there punching tags to just punch tags or are you really out there to preserve the moment, create a lifelong experience? And, and I, and I got to bring this up and then I know we're up on time, but you know, I had a gentleman when I posted that, you know, about that image, a guy messaged my DM. He's like, Hey, I completely agree with your take. Um, you know, it's completely disrespectful, yada, yada, yada. But I, I can't agree with you because you've got that cute little girl. He was talking about Brooklyn, um, who was five at the time mm-hmm. and says, you've got in that same picture, you know, next to that dead animal, that's just completely distasteful. And I said, Wait a you second, know, because hey, she was next to the animal because she was next to it. And he said, I was using her as a prop. Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, that's my daughter. Hunting and fishing is what we do as a family. She's five years old. It's legal for her to hunt turkeys in Nebraska with me, as long as she has a mentor and a valid license, which is me. And it's like some of my fondest memories when I was a kid are of me and my dad uh, out there in the field, whether it was with ducks or a deer or whatever. And it's like, we always took pictures in the moment and his disagreement with me was because he's like, you know, the, the animal didn't need to be in the picture and it was, it, we could have just posed for a nice picture together. And I'm like, Hey, I get it. And I, and I completely understand where you're at. I just can't get there because at the end of the day, my daughter and I were there to get her first Turkey. And I wanted a picture right where it happened with the lighting the same way it was bluebird, beautiful April day. And I wanted that moment to remember for the rest of my life that that was the day she got her first Turkey. And I said, it was not about the animal. It was not about the act of killing it. It was, that's what we set out to do that day. And we did it. And that sense of accomplishment is what I want my daughter to remember when she's getting married someday and I'm walking her down the aisle and we got a little slideshow, man, I'm really getting old thinking (laughs) about this. We've got a, you know, we've got her uh, pictures playing up of when she's a youngster. I want that picture up there. Yep. Because that is what my daughter, who she is, it's what we do as a family. And he sent me back a super nice message. And he was like, wow. He's like, I totally get it. He's like, maybe I'm battling my own issues with how I think that animals look in pictures. Completely respect your take. Thanks for taking the time to message me. You know, keep on. And I was like, that's what needs to happen. Exactly. Just a simple conversation. Completely civil. He came at me from a completely completely different 
point of view. And we left with a mutual, you know, handshake over the internet. Yep. And I think that people, and you and I talked about this, I think that people, if they just be willing to speak up and explain where they're coming from, I think people, that conversation will inherently more happen. But I think what happens is, is people get scared about pushback. And it's like pushback is good. Pushback is healthy because that means you have convictions and you care about something. So I think that that conversation should never be shied away from, whether it's about a, whether it's about a terrible picture that got posted online or political issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think people have a lot more common ground than they are led on to believe. Agreed, man. I couldn't have said it better myself, and honestly, I think we'll we'll wrap her up on that terms. <laughs> yeah, there's your ending monologue. So I there hope that I hope the uh, soapbox episode with Adam Bender uh, doesn't get you too many uh, unsubscribes. That's what I'm going to name it: the soapbox episode. No, <laughs> no, it actually does does. Uh, it is very fitting for everything that we discussed. Yeah. So no, I greatly appreciate you coming on here and doing this, man. Well, we're going to do it again for sure. We got some more time, and um, when you get off and uh, go and get on your whitetail journey this fall. I'd like to kind of reconvene with you and just see how your season's going. Absolutely. I'm hoping to go to Wisconsin again. I got the invite, so I'm hoping to go back. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll repeat. Hell yeah, man. Well, thank you very much. And uh, you have a good rest of your week. All right. Be good, buddy. We'll talk soon. And there you have it. Another great episode with my buddy, Adam Bender. Thank you for coming on, dude. Greatly appreciate it. Little rant session there. It's all right though. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be brought up, but, um, Social media can be a wild beast, and uh, it's a necessary evil, basically. It's not a necessary. I shouldn't say that because if I didn't have the podcast stuff like that, I probably wouldn't have social media, but it is you know, nice to be able to keep track of family that might not be you know, living around you or you haven't seen in a while, so it is nice to do that. So thank you guys for all the support and all the downloads. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, leave a written review, and go to Spotify and leave a five-star rating as well. With that being said, we're going to get off here and we'll see you next week on the Fall Podcast. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.